podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 1012 podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. We are the flagship show of the 1012 Network and partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for all things sports and non-sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. Here's the deal. Uh, normally, our episodes on Monday go up Monday at 6 a.m. This episode obviously being released a little bit later. Uh, we wanted to get a an interview in that required me to wait just a little bit longer. Plus, this is our last episode of 2022. So I felt it was okay if it went out a little bit later. Still plenty of time for all of this fantastic information. Two great guests today, the one that we were waiting on, being Max Olson of The Athletic, one of the best journalists to cover the Big 12 Conference, to talk about Oklahoma and Texas's potential early exit in the summer of 2024. Uh, he wrote, uh, co-wrote an article with a couple other writers there at The Athletic, so we discussed that with him on this show. Also joining us from Rivals, Nick Harris, National Recruiting Analyst, he comes on the show every year, three years in a row now, to talk about early signing period, National Signing Day. That kicks off this Wednesday. It's the beginning of the early signing period where most schools sign, at this point, the bulk of their class. There's always a few guys who hang around maybe for, a next, for the next day, and then those who wait until the February, the late signing period. But we're going to preview National Signing Day this Wednesday, talk about just about every team in the Big 12 that will be here past 2024. Uh, that includes the four teams incoming. So great stuff for Nick. Great stuff for Max. Stick around for those two interviews. Like I said, this is our last episode of 2022. The original intention was to do a lot of basketball, uh, but look, Jamie is unavailable, and I gave Andy the night off because honestly, I just have not had the time I need to commit to watching a lot of Big 12 basketball. Not from a lack of interest or trying. It's just a busy time of year. Busy time of year personally. So I didn't want to come in here and talk about hoops and like I've been sitting around watching a bunch of it. So the goal is we come back in January, going to watch a bunch of Big 12, going to really dive in with a new resource called CBB Analytics that we have uh, have an agreement with. Very excited about that. Some fantastic stats that they're going to be able to provide for us. I cannot wait to introduce you to it. Uh, we'll get there. Uh, their head here on the show to talk with you about it and we're going to be pulling a lot of stuff at you from them fantastic stuff so we're going to really dig into men's and women's big 12 basketball come january when we come back i'm not entirely sure if that's going to be the third or that thursday or the week after but we'll be back in 23 very excited to do so if you haven't yet, go check out the Bowl Picks episodes, the last Picks episode of the year with Daniel and Chris. We did it in reverse chronological order so that that way the Bowls that were already finished, the Bowls that BYU won and Cincinnati lost, they were at the tail end of the show. So it's okay. You don't have to listen to the very end. Start at the beginning with TCU and Michigan, and we went backwards in order. So all the way until that last game, you can listen to the show and not have to listen all the way to the very end to try and find it. So go back and listen to it. Make sure that you have bookmarked 1012network.com. The site is up and running with all of the shows available in the 1012 network. All of our shows, you've got direct links to every single one of them there. I mentioned this later on with Nick. I'll mention it now. 
National Signing Day. Make sure you're listening to, make sure you're subscribed to the school's podcast that we have. They will do a fantastic job of covering these 2023 classes in the Big 12. Big deal this year. Four schools coming in. This will be their first Big 12 classes. TCU killing it. Texas Tech tearing it up. Absolutely fantastic stuff. One other thing to get to, that of course is Homefield Apparel, official sponsor here on the 1012 Podcast, 1012 Network, longest running sponsor. We love what we get to do with Homefield Apparel because they love college athletics, honestly, even more than we do. And I love the Big 12, but they love everything. And they love Indiana the most, but that's okay. Look, Homefield does an incredible job making the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel. T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers. They've got the core collection without the logos, but they've got more than 100 schools available. Vintage logos, creative, unique designs only can be found at Homefield Apparel. It's a little bit late now to try and get a t-shirt, sweater, or hoodie, or jogger in and delivered in time for Christmas. It does feel a bit late. Don't worry. Homefield's got gift cards so that someone can pick out what they want. Plus, like, look, like I said, you can't just go there and buy one. I'm going to buy one shirt. Good job. You bought one. Now you're going to want to go back and get 10 more. So here's the deal. Promo code NETWORK12 gets you 15% off your first order. Get as much as you can that first time. Use that promo code. It's a great discount. Shout out to Homefield. I know they're having a Merry Christmas. I know they've got a lot planned for 2023. A lot of fun stuff planned. I don't know what all of it is. I can't wait to see it. I know 2022 provided us with... Now we have every Big 12 team, plus some excellent additions to the collections they already have because they have every current and future Big 12 school. So go to homefieldapparel.com, use that promo code NETWORK12, get 15% off your first order, or pick up a gift card for your friends and loved ones for this holiday season. You're not going to regret it. You're going to be comfy wearing that t-shirt, wearing that sweater, wearing that hoodie. This college basketball season, this bowl season, baseball season, softball all right, like I said, two fantastic interviews. Nick Harris of Rivals were previewing National Signing Day. We got Max Olsey of the Athletics to talk about Oklahoma and Texas's potential early exit in the summer of 2024. Y'all have a Merry Christmas. Have a Happy New Year. I'll be back in 2023 to talk with you again. We're going to talk lots of hoops, talk lots of college football, baseball, softball, all of it. Have a happy holidays. Hey, this is Jamie Steyer Johnson, host of the Cyclone Family Podcast. I host a show with my brother, Eric Steyer, and the two of us were raised in the ISU Athletic Department, as my mom has coached women's basketball for over 20 years. Our involvement didn't stop there, and I've been a radio analyst for Cyclone Women's Basketball since 2019, and Eric spent his 2018 to 2022 years as a walk-on on the men's side. We get together each week to talk about what's happening in the world of Cyclone sports, whether that be current seasons, former players, or whatever else we find to be of interest. We'd love to have you join us. The Cyclone Family Podcast. When you listen... Your family. Do you think Olive Garden can sue me for that? The early signing period begins this week. It is, honestly, it is the signing day on the calendar. Obviously, there is now the the late signing period in February. But this is really when classes get made. And then you just kind of sprinkle on a few things uh, in February or after spring uh, practice is over. And we add a few things to the portal. But... This year, we want to do a preview. We want to look at the Big 12, what we expect to come in, some guys to keep an eye on. And there's one guy that we turn to every single year. I think this is the third year in a row we have had you on. That is Nick Harris, National Recruiting Analyst for Rivals. Nick, welcome back, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's uh, I just mentioned it before. 
pre hopped on, but it's, it's a trad tradition I love doing. It's like, uh, you know, when am I going to get that DM from Philip? When am I going to hop on? So uh, I'm excited to be back on it and talk a little Big 12. From just like covering Texas to the state of Texas to now you're nationally. You just keep moving. Every year we bring you on here, so you've got a new, bigger title. By, by next year, it's going to be like head of rivals, just like running, <laughs> running the whole company. You know, I want to go to Europe next year and, and scout those recruits that they have at those prep academies in Europe. So who knows, maybe internationals next, but no, I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun the last couple of years and it's just a blessing to be here. National and Germany. That's, that's, a, that sounds good. That sounds good. Or Australia. Ooh, there we go. You gotta go. Yeah. Let's go to pro kick, find out the punters and scout them all. Let's get going. <laughs> that's awesome. I want to talk about just kind of broad strokes right now. We'll kind of try and hit as many of the team by teams as we can. we got 14 teams, so it's it's going to be tough to hit every single one of them. Um, and I do want to tell everybody, of course, if you want the most in-depth coverage of your team's uh, recruiting and, and who they sign, 1012network.com, T-E-N-1-2-network.com. Uh, you can find every show on the network, each show for each school, do a, a great job of breaking down their signing classes. And of course... Give Nick a follow on Twitter. Uh, that is at Rivals Nick. He'll be uh, he'll be doing a great job as well. But I want to kind of talk broad strokes here for the Big Twelve, specifically some guys you're keeping an eye on as we head into the National Signing Day, either that are unsigned and that you think might be leaning one way or another towards a current or future Big Twelve school. You know BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. These signing classes will be the first kind of Big 12 signing classes for them. All these guys will come in as freshmen in the Big 12. Or and I saw some stuff that you were tweeting out uh, tweeting out on Sunday about maybe some potential flips of some guys who are currently committed to a school who you might see, uh, if you are a fan of a different Big 12 school, will be excited to kind of keep an eye on this week. Yeah, talking about Texas Tech, I think that's going to be a school to definitely watch going towards into signing day. Uh, you mentioned uh, a couple of picks that I made on Sunday night. Uh, Texas Tech's done a really good job with trying to find really athletic physical prospects that also have, you know, NFL type bodies. And I think two more guys that they can get ahead of signing day are Justin Horn linebacker from new Orleans, uh, currently committed to Louisiana Lafayette, um, really athletic prospect. He's a black belt in Taekwondo. His nickname is sensei. He's just kind of a freak all over the place. And I was able to see him in the state championships in Louisiana last weekend. My goodness, he covers sideline to sideline. I think he could be a really fun prospect for Texas tech. They had him in for an official visit this past weekend. So that's one to definitely watch. And then Dylan Spencer, he's a Texas commit uh, out of Houston um, who could be flipping to Texas Tech here pretty soon. That is definitely one to watch as well. Six foot four, 250 pounds, already kind of has that NFL profile. Really fun prospect. Um, another one to look at is Javon Thomas, four-star corner that is currently committed to Texas A&M, but TCU is doing a really good job trying to flip him ahead of the uh, early signing period. Um, I, I heard from a source yesterday that it's going to be 50-50 ahead of signing day on where he possibly ends up. So that's that's definitely one to watch. I think those are mainly the big names. You know, there's some out-of-state names that are kind of factoring in with Big 12 schools as they try to, you know, put some final pieces. But, you know, most of these guys that are uncommitted right now are pushing into February or committing at Under Armour game or All-American Bowl, things like that. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, there's a, a linebacker that's uh, down to, and uh, forgive me, former Oklahoma State commit down to Texas TCU and Oklahoma State who seems to be pushing his commitment back to to February. So um, that, that that one of the guys keeping up. I'm, cannot remember his name from the life of me yeah jelani mcdonald he's a Thank yeah four-star linebacker safety hybrid out of waco Connolly. he is um he's he's a fun prospect man he had a really 
good senior year. Uh, he played quarterback and safety for his high school team, has an awesome profile. I was able to actually see him in a scrimmage before the season, and I was just blown away. And I, was, I, I came out of that scrimmage, and I was like, man, we have him way too lowly ranked. And so we put him in the uh, the Rivals 250 after I saw him that week. He's, he's really impressive. But as you said, he decommitted from Oklahoma State. Looking at TCU and Texas um, down the stretch, but I wouldn't factor out Oklahoma State either. I think the I think the Pokes could potentially get back in and maybe even land his commitment. I think his current plan is to commit at the All-American Bowl in San Antonio. I believe that's on January 6th. Don't quote me on that, whatever that Saturday is. Um, but I think it's going to end up at a Big 12 school, one of those three. You mentioned TCU. Now I want to kind of start there. It's not just that this is a team that we talk all the time about programs that have great seasons and – you know, you expect as a fan, well, why doesn't everybody want to come play for us because, you know, we just won 11 games or we won the conference championship or or these things. And I'm like, that that's not, it doesn't factor in for recruits nearly as much as it does for players, but it is something you can use to build momentum with everything else that's involved in recruiting in college football, NIL, especially um, TCU. Sonny Dykes and and what they are doing there in Fort Worth. I mean, they've, they've typically had in Fort Worth about the third best recruiting class each year you might see a dip down to a fifth or sixth but each year it's usually been about the third best they've had about the third most talented roster looking at 2023 same thing right now they're number three in the big 12 uh, according to 247 uh sorry i know your rivals guy (laughs) with at least 10 four-star guys i mean that looks like they have a top 20 class nationally like it looks like what TCU is doing is exactly what you want to see. A team that is talented and playing off that momentum as well as utilizing probably NIL really, really well and building a really good class that if they're already this good in TCU, like you've got to be really excited as a TCU fan. Set aside what you're seeing from the transfer portal and the SEC guys that they're bringing in. It does look like TCU is putting together a really, really solid class for 23. Yeah, 100%. And there's no there's no slight way to put it. And they've done a really good job throughout the fall. It started when they started 4-0 even. And, you know, some teams that have uh, one-shot success, if you will, and I'm not saying that TCU is necessarily a one-hit wonder, but teams that typically have that one-shot success, they typically wait until they get about 8-1 and or 9-1 and or 10-0 and to start really starting to hammer the recruiting trail. But TCU, they started early in the fall with some big names just to kind of shoot high and see where they could go with it. And as they kept winning, they kept inching closer and closer with those guys, and they ended up landing a few. Uh, four-star defensive tackle Marcus Steele, I think, was the first major commitment that kind of put the entire country on notice that, hey, TCU can really make some runs here down the stretch and, and make make some uh, really national recruitments very interesting. And they're just continuing to do that. They flipped a, a four-star defensive back, Randon Fontenet from Utah. Um, they flipped three-star uh, cornerback, Jamel Johnson from Texas. And they're working on uh, getting some more guys. Uh, one of my favorite JUCO prospects in the entire country, Channing Canada uh, from Trinity Valley in Athens, Texas, committed to TCU. And he's a really fun prospect. I think he could start day one for those guys and be kind of a Travis Hodges Tomlinson guy where – where did this guy come from? How did he win the Jim Thorpe Award? Kind of one of those guys. He has one about like every five years that does that. I think he could be the next in line for, you know, a similar accolade. Uh, but going down the stretch, I mentioned Javon Thomas uh, working to flip him from Texas A&M. And there's still a hole at the quarterback position and, and what they could do with that. I know they've been talking with four-star Baylor uh, commit Austin Novosad. Uh, that one seems kind of far-fetched to be able to get TCU to flip this late. But it's definitely an interesting name, and it's just interesting that they are able to even be in that recruitment at this point. Yeah, it, it, what Sunny Dykes is doing there is is impressive so far. 
You mentioned Texas Tech. I want to go there for a minute. At one point, this class early, 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 early on was like number one class in the country because they got so many guys early. And that's something that uh, Coach McGuire had said they wanted to do. They wanted to get in on guys early, get guys committed early and build their classes out early because, I mean, we can, it's, it sounds silly to say Texas Tech had the number one class in the country. And obviously that's not where they're going to finish, but they got a lot of PR for that and a lot of good PR. And I think that has paid off for them. They sit here with arguably the fourth or fifth best class in the Big 12 right now. Uh, one would, I I think, at least a top 30 class nationally, probably, uh, which is not something you're used to seeing from Texas Tech. So what Coach McGuire and his recruiting staff is doing there in Lubbock is paying off very, very well, including having that early one. I think uh, Rivals has them as number 21. So not even top 30. 30. Top 30 isn't even being generous enough for how good this class is so far. I mean, kind of break down where where they're really hitting. I know Jordan Sanford's a guy uh, that I, I, I've watched some highlight tape from. It's a guy that Oklahoma State was on for a little bit as an OSU fan. Like, I'm very excited about him. Kind of what is what are they doing to not only keep this class as highly ranked as it is, but continue to add to it and build to what they had, had done early on when McGuire arrived in Lubbock? Yeah, this goes very. This goes back to that very first day that Joey McGuire uh, arrived in Lubbock and, and brought a couple of his recruiting guys with him immediately. You know, on that first plane ride from Waco to Lubbock, alongside with him was his now director of recruiting, James Blanchard, and those two have just been hitting the recruiting trail ever since. And he couldn't coach during that last half of the season last year uh, as the they finished out the 2021 season. So you know he can't just sit around fiddling his thumbs if you know Joey McGuire. So he hit the recruiting trail really hard. He's got strong relationships with the Texas high school football coaches in the entire state. He was a former president of the Texas High School Coaches Association. Uh, so really just reestablishing those relationships that, you know, he had built at Baylor, he had built at his time as a high school coach at Cedar Hill, uh, Stephenville and other places, um, you know, just kind of reemphasizing those and then picking up early commitments and trusting the evaluations of your eval staff. And they did a really job of it you know they were not scared to go ahead and fill up really early on with guys that they felt like could really develop either have strong senior years or once they get to campus some guys that they really trust that their staff can develop and, and turn into really good ball players and you know they, they benefited from that they were able to keep a lot of really highly ranked guys in the class as a result of early relationships you mentioned Jordan Sanford it came down to Texas Tech and Washington for him. And Washington was a school that he was really interested in. And I think if Texas Tech had not have gotten in as early as they did, then they probably would not have landed his commitment. Isaiah Crawford is another one from Post just down the road in Lubbock. Uh, he was committed to Baylor uh, under Joey McGuire and James Blanchard whenever they were at the uh, staff in Waco. And then once they made the move to Texas Tech, he almost did immediately. He committed on November 14th, just days after Joey made the move to Lubbock. So, you know, that's another key early, early relationship that they could bring on. Uh, Brendan Jordan, safety from Mansfield is another one. Uh, Nick Fatigue, uh, uh, offensive lineman that I really like from uh, League City Clear Springs. Uh, he's a guy that they uh, established a relationship back with their time in Baylor and then just transferred that on to Texas Tech and kept working that relationship. Got him on campus for an official visit during the summer and then landed his commitment in July um, you know and it hasn't come without a couple of negatives along the way you know as a result of making key early evaluations and securing those commitments you know big schools come down across the line and steal those guys uh, they lost Calvin Simpson Hunt four-star corner uh, that went to Ohio State uh, they lost a receiver to Notre Dame and Caleb Smith from Frisco Reedy uh, and then they just recently lost an offensive tackle from Louisiana his name's Tyler Johnson he went to Auburn so you know there's definitely been a couple of you know negatives uh, along the way but I think overall if you look back on the 
class for Texas Tech, they did everything that they needed to do during Joey McGuire's transitional class to not only bring in really high, high ceiling guys, but also bring in guys that fit their system. You've got to be impressed by what they're doing and building there. I love it. Uh, another class, let's kind of round out the the top five as far as the Big 12 teams who are sticking around. You guys have Baylor at number four right now. I mean, what is impressing you most about what Dave Aranda is doing? And are you seeing any impact at this point from the firing of, of Ron Roberts, the defensive coordinator, and, and Baylor kind of having a step back season following a Big 12 title? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think the Baylor class, if you ask anybody on the Baylor staff, they're just trying to get to Wednesday. They're just trying to go ahead and get all the guys in the class and, and you know trying not to suffer any more casualties uh they lost a linebacker uh tory in york uh, a couple of weeks ago and you know the early buzz was that he was going to immediately flip to duke but then texas a&m offered got him in for an official visit this past weekend so those are two schools that are going to fight down the stretch to try to get york uh Tayshon wilson who's a four-star corner out of uh, katie made creek has been making a big late push for him. They've been around during his entire recruitment. Uh, we'll see if they can flip him closer towards signing day. And then the prize of their class, uh, four-star quarterback Austin Novosad, being courted heavily by Oregon and TCU and Texas A&M down the stretch. I don't necessarily factor in TCU or Texas A&M at this point, but I think Oregon could really interesting. Uh, Oregon currently has a quarterback committed and five-star quarterback Dante Moore, but there's a lot of buzz that he's going to flip towards UCLA either before signing day or signing day. And uh, newly hired offensive coordinator Will Stein, who is from the Central Texas area, uh, came from UTSA, has a previous relationship with Austin Novosad going back to his time in middle school. So that would be an easy pivot, you would think, for the Ducks fans to go ahead and, and pick up Austin Novosad and steal him away from Baylor. So, you know, just getting to Wednesday, that's going to be the big the, the big key for Baylor. But, you know, looking around the entire class and guys that I know for sure will sign on Wednesday, uh, Corey Kelly, a four-star linebacker that we have rated on rivals out of uh, League City, Clear Falls. A really, really fun prospect. I think he can play inside or on the edge. Uh, he, he covers a lot of ground and uses his size and mobility really well to uh, not only rush the passer, but drop back in his own coverage. I think he does a really good job of that. Uh, Bryson Washington, who just won his second state championship this past weekend at uh, 3A Franklin, he's going to play running back for the Bears, and I think he's going to be a very interesting offensive playmaker for those guys. Um, and then they have a lot of uh, high floor guys as well, such as LeVar Thornton out of Keller Timber Creek, 6'2", 165 pounds corner when you have that kind of length on the uh, on the boundary that's that's a lot of fun especially in the big 12 where you know uh, big 12 schools really do try to uh, recruit those big bodied receivers and just throw it up in those one-on-one situations so you need big guys like thornton that can do that speaking of momentum let's talk about two other teams here in the big 12 two of the lower rated classes uh, and two programs that don't typically have top half of the conference ranked recruiting classes the two with big momentum, Kansas State and Kansas. Obviously, Kansas State uh, making the Big 12 title game, winning the Big 12 this year. Obviously, that's a big thing for Kansas State. And Kansas getting back to a bowl game for the first time in, I I, I keep forgetting. I know it's more than a decade. It's been a minute. Uh, was it it's been a while. It's been, it's, been a, it's been a while. There there are people, many people who live today who have never seen Kansas make a bowl game until this year. Yeah. Uh, what are you seeing from them and, and kind of the 23 classes and, and how how they're building those? And, and if you're seeing some of this this positive momentum in 23 paying off on the recruiting trail. Yeah, Kansas State, uh, they've done a really good job uh, under Chris Kleiman of kind of recruiting along the same lines that Bill Snyder did. And not necessarily, you know, kind of the old fashioned way that Bill Snyder did, but 
uh, going after guys uh, in the region um, and across the country that have a lot of potential at the next level that maybe just haven't been in the right systems at the high school level, and then developing those guys, putting them in the system and just making them really big character system fits. And I think they have guys across the board that fit that mold. But the one outlier is the quarterback that's committed for Mays, Kansas and Avery Johnson. And I think Avery Johnson could be a really big difference maker for Kansas State at the next level. He chose Kansas State over Notre Dame, uh, Ohio State, Oregon, other offers that he had. Uh, he wanted to stay in the state of Kansas and play for the Wildcats. And even when schools were trying to flip him later down on the line, you know, winning the Big 12 championship cer certainly helped in keeping him in the fold and eventually signing him on Wednesday. And uh, he's a big time dual threat playmaker that can make plays with his feet. He's really comfortable in the pocket, but he's not afraid to escape it and make things happen. Uh, a powerful arm uh, was able to see him at Elite 11 as well. And, uh, you know, he stacks up with some of the best quarterbacks in the country when it comes to what he can do with his arm. Uh, but then kind of looking around, uh, looking around the class of some guys that I kind of mentioned earlier, um, Wesley Watson, a receiver from College Station A&M Consolidated. Uh, Kansas State recently flipped him from uh, Colorado uh, before Deion Sanders uh, got on staff. Uh, but he's a really fun receiver at six foot two, 100. 185 pounds. Uh, he's made a lot of plays for uh, AM Consolidated down in the Brazos Valley area of Texas. Uh, Cameron Salas, a safety from Kennedale, is a guy that I've really liked seeing as, as his time has gone on. Uh, Kennedale produced a four star safety a couple of cycles ago in JD Coffee that went to Texas. And whenever I was covering coffee, I was able to see Cameron Salas as a young guy and then kind of him then and compared to now he's completely changed as a player and he's grown and you know really developed into a football player in that defensive uh, backfield for uh, for Kennedale I think he'll be able to do the same for Kansas State uh, and they got some really good looking bodies around the class as well and Wesley Fair uh, from Wichita Kansas keeping him in state at six foot two 180 pounds he could play on either side of the ball and that's a lot of flexibility that they'll need uh, you know with a couple of guys going out um, towards the draft or just graduating in general uh, but looking around the class, their size, their speed, and then they have the bell cow with Avery Johnson. I think it's a really strong class for Kansas State. Yeah, six guys from the state of Kansas, a couple more from uh, from Missouri, a couple from Texas, one from Oklahoma. So, yeah, they're very keeping it very regional, which makes a lot of sense. And, and this working, it's a strong – it feels like a stronger class – of recruits in the state of Kansas this year than we than we see a lot. There's usually a couple of guys from Kansas that are pretty solid. This does feel like a deeper class, and Kansas State has done a good job of keeping a lot of those guys in state there at Kansas State. I mentioned Kansas just to kind of touch on them as well. Uh, looking at the class they put together, not going to wow you. It's it's 10th in the Big 12, but, I mean, look, they have hit all over the place. I mean, you're looking at uh, – You've got Michigan, California, Texas, Missouri, Kansas, Colorado, Florida, Iowa, Georgia. I mean, they're hitting nationwide to bring in guys there to Lawrence. Yeah, if there is one thing that is certain about Kansas, they are going to be hitting the transfer portal really hard going into uh, going into the spring. Uh, only 12 commits right now from the high school ranks and already two transfer commits and one of them being a kicker. So, you know, technically one transfer commit at the this point that can play uh you know meaningful football uh not to not to uh oh. specialist oh. not the crap on specialists that actually came out really wrong look i love kickers <laughs> and we were talking about pro kick earlier i would love you know, see those guys, but, uh, you know, guys like, you know, really contribute towards, uh, towards the game and, and, and that kind of way. And one of the transfers is a former five-star recruit in Logan Brown offensive tackle that was at Wisconsin. And, you know, he, he struggled with some injuries early on, didn't really see the field. And then with the coaching staff leaving, he went ahead and hopped in the portal. I think he's got a, a fun home in Kansas and I think he'll be able to kind of restart and find his identity at Kansas. I think it's a really fun pickup for the Jayhawks. Uh, and then looking at their class, they were able to flip an offensive offensive lineman, 
from Baylor, uh, from Lawrence, Kansas, right there in the city of Lawrence, Calvin Clements. Uh, and that's the highest rated commit in their class as of now. They flipped him on December 7th. Um, and they've also pulled some guys from some really uh, strong programs. They have a commit from modern day out in California from Siraz Buncombe, uh, uh, Jamil Craw from Martin Luther King, which uh, we were in Detroit, Michigan. We are talking about Dante Moore earlier. That's where, uh, where he goes to high school in Detroit. Um, and then Oaks Christian for, in Westlake Village, California. Johnny Thompson is the running back that they have committed at five foot 10, 190 pounds. Kind of a fun little speed demon that I think they'll be able to use. And then a guy I've seen that I've really liked seeing uh, across his high school career is receiver Jared Sample out of Cy Ranch and Cy um he's a, he's a fun guy you can put him inside you can put him outside and also one of the funniest recruits i've ever covered as well so they'll definitely have a personality in the locker room and then um austin westlake receiver keaton kubeka and if you if you're a fan of texas high school football austin westlake won three state championships during keaton kubeka's career and uh, you know he was a big part of two of those big state championships at six foot two, 195 pounds, really kind of a big body. They can throw it up to him and he can go up and grab it. Uh, he's, he's definitely a fun receiver take for them. Um, you know, and looking around at their high school guys, you know, maybe they are picky and choosing who they want, but, you know, I think they've done a really good job of not only finding program fits, but uh, locker room fits as well. I want to touch on the four schools who will be joining the big 12 summer 23, that of course being Houston, Cincinnati, BYU, and UCF. These 23 classes, every single player who is signing, they're going to be part of the first team to compete as Big 12 members. So these are their first Big 12 signing classes. Of the four teams incoming, who's who do you think, from at least from a recruiting standpoint right now, looks like they're going to be best set to join the Big 12 and be ready to go? Like who Who's utilizing joining the Big 12 the best or has impressed you the most? Yeah, that's a, that's an easy answer. It's Houston. Um, I think Dana Holgerson and his staff have done a really good job uh, with recruiting the state of Texas and recruiting the Houston area in the cycle. They have some really fun commits in their class and uh, guys that I've uh, had the pleasure of seeing many times throughout their career. Uh, we could start up top with four-star wide receiver Jonah Wilson, who they flipped from Texas back in October. And that was a true flip. You know, sometimes, you know, a big power programs such as Texas like to mention, oh, we didn't want him anyway. They definitely wanted Jonah Wilson and Houston was able to flip it. Uh, um, Houston was able to flip Jonah Wilson back in October, just due to relationships and being able to stay in the city. Uh, Parker Jenkins was a running back that they got from Klein Forest uh, back in August. Uh, he's a guy that's put up a ton of stats. He's a track guy. He comes from a track program at Klein Forest. And then Jacoby Banks, receiver for Fort Ben Marshall, another track guy. And one of the best seven on seven players I've ever seen. So take that how you will. But, um, you know, really fun guy, even though he's at five foot nine, 175 pounds, he uses that, uh, you know, negative in size to squeeze and wiggle around guys. And he's really slippery and tackling as well. And he, he's got a lot of strength. I think he's a really fun player at the next level uh, for Houston. I think that's a guy that they can use really early on. But I think when it comes to a guy that I think could possibly have the most NFL potential or um, even the most, uh, you know, uh, all conference potential the Big 12 is a defensive line, uh, defensive lineman Jet Runyon from Aubrey, Texas. And I live here in Denton, uh, Denton, Texas. Aubrey, Texas, probably only 10, 15 minutes away. And I've been able to see him a couple of times. And my goodness, six foot five, probably about 240, 245 pounds now. And he uses that size really well. He's really mobile off the edge. He also played tight end for his high school team as well. I think that's a guy that can step in really early on and contribute for Houston and be able to contribute in the Big 12 in a big way. It, just kind of looking at Houston's class, I think they're going to really good job of finding athletes that'll be able to stack up with a power five conference and also finding size that'll be able to do that as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see who they bring in as far as a quarterback, whether that be in the portal or waiting to the 2024 class, but you know, nevertheless, nevertheless, I think um, Dana Holgerson and Houston are definitely set up for success moving into the big 12. 
I'm interested to see as well what happens on Wednesday for both Cincinnati and UCF. Cincinnati, obviously, they had a really good class put together. But Luke Fickle is gone to Wisconsin now. And so you've seen some guys decommitting. Um, they had a, a, a couple of really talented guys since that news came out late November and now into December, decommitting some of their better players in their class. Uh, UCF has lost both their offensive coordinator and their defensive coordinator uh, now to other schools. So they're going to be coming into the Big 12 with new uh, new play callers and seeing the impact. Of that I'm curious from your thoughts, just like Cincinnati and UCF seem like two teams who should be set to, to compete. But how big is the changes going on in the coaching staff there? How much is it impacting these classes as they try and join the Big 12? I don't think it's necessarily hurt UCF as much as it's hurt Cincinnati. I think if you're looking at programs across the country that are really hurt from losing their head coach, it's tough to make the argument that any program has been hurt worse than Cincinnati losing Luke Fickle. Um, losing him resulted in a, a wave of decommitments almost immediately after uh, Malik Elzey, a four-star receiver uh, um, from the Midwest decommitting was the first big blow. And then from there, it just kind of kept trickling on. And, uh, you know, they were able to keep the core of the class intact with, with Brady Drogosh, um, quarterback commit from Michigan, a four-star quarterback commit. You know, being able to keep him in the class definitely helps at the signal caller position. But looking around, I think they're going to have to hit the transfer portal really hard. But, you know, bringing in Scott Satterfield, he did a really good job recruiting at Louisville, um, had five-star running back uh, Ruben Owens committed for quite a bit of time before he left. And then once he left, he flipped to Texas A&M. A four-star quarterback Pierce Clarkson out from uh, California. So he definitely had recruiting chops at Louisville. I think he'll be able to bring that to Cincinnati, especially now that they are in the Big 12 officially. Uh, well, they will be with the 2024 cycle for sure. Um, but the transfer portal is going to have to be the big thing with, with Cincinnati. And I think the same kind of goes for UCF. Um, you know, they've done a really good job with recruiting the state of Florida this year with John Walker being able to hold on. If they can hold on to John Walker ahead of Wednesday, I know that that's one that they're really sweating down the stretch. But if they can hold on to him, then that definitely helps moving forward into the 2024 class and as well as into the transfer portal. But nevertheless, I think both programs will definitely have to hit the portal hard. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Elsie, uh, Braden Moore, Day McCullough, and Amari Snowden, a few more of the top prospects Cincinnati lost uh, who was supposed to be part of this class. Definitely going to be very different for them joining the Big 12 now uh, without Fickle. As a Big 12 fan, disappointed to not be seeing Fickle in the Big 12, but I understand. Uh, let's wrap up on this, Nick. Uh, the three big current uh, current uh, schools that will be remaining in the Big 12 that we haven't touched on, West Virginia, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State. All their classes ranked in the back half of the Big 12 this year. Uh, right now, based off of rivals, West Virginia at 6th, Iowa State at 8th, and Oklahoma State at ninth. Who do you think of those three, looking both at this signing period that opens up on Wednesday, as well as the the late signing period, uh, who do you think might see the biggest rise here in these last few days and into the spring with their class based off what you're seeing? I don't think necessarily that any of these programs will see a rise just because spots are pretty limited at this point. But if we're looking at all three of these classes and, and pound for pound, which class do I necessarily think is the quote unquote best? I, I really do like what Oklahoma State did this year. Only 14 commits, but they had very limited spots. This was expected coming into the cycle that, you know, Oklahoma State was going to be towards the bottom or at the bottom of the Big 12, just based on this, the available spots that they had in the 2023 cycle. But I think they did a really good job of filling those spots with guys that could really work for them 
their program. Uh, Zane Flores, it starts up top with the quarterback from Nebraska. You know, he's not a guy that can come in and start immediately and contribute, but I think after a couple of years in the system, he could definitely be what Oklahoma State has, has done for years. And, you know, if Garrett Rangel is the next guy up, then he'll be able to kind of flow right in behind him and, and be able to pick up where he left off. Uh, Cameron Hurd, receiver from Houston Fur, uh, a speed demon. I was talking about speed demons earlier. My goodness, he's a track guy with a 10, 10 6, 5 time, I believe, off the top of my head. You know, and those kind of guys are really valuable for Oklahoma State. Uh, and then I was able to see linebacker Cam Franklin uh, last week at the Louisiana State Championships as well. Uh, he was able to win a, a, a Division Four state championship in Louisiana for Oak Grove, Louisiana. And uh, my goodness, talking about covering sideline side to sideline, he does it really well. He had double-digit tackles in that game. Really instinctual, fills the holes really well. I think he's a guy that could be, um, you know, a contender to put, uh, contribute next year and then start as a sophomore. Uh, at the inside linebacker position, a really fun guy. And then they, they recruited the state of Oklahoma, um, you know, minimally, but I think they did a good job with it, uh, with Jadon Foreman and Jacoby Sanders. You know, those are two, two guys in the trenches that I think will be able to contribute in a big way at the Big 12 as well, you know, especially once the transition is officially done in the Big 12. And then the last name I want to touch on is uh, Dylan Smith from Denton Broswell, a corner prospect that I also believe could have some receiver potential at the next level. Uh, but nevertheless, a really fun guy that I think they'll be able to play with in the skill positions. He said he wasn't a big portal guy, but no one's done more in the portal so far than Oklahoma State. They've got seven commits out of the portal um, so far to add to this 23 class. So obviously it's a smaller class as far as high school guys go. They do have a very young roster. Uh, they got quite a few guys coming out of the portal of varying ages, both of grad transfers all the way down to an offensive lineman who's, I think, still just uh, finished up his true freshman season. So small high school class seems like it's gonna be a pretty big portal class for Oklahoma State as well we'll see how that impacts them absolutely and one transfer I definitely want to touch on is Anthony Goodlow being able to bring him in from Tulsa keep him in the state of Oklahoma uh, that's a big time uh, a portal land I think he will most definitely be able to contribute immediately and contend for an all-conference spot next year signing his roommate linebacker Justin Wright out of Tulsa probably didn't hurt in landing a good 100 as well Nick man you are awesome as always I don't I don't know how I, I imagine you have like a thousand tabs open because I can't imagine you just, you just pull all this out of your head. It's crazy. It's wild. Uh, Nick, you do a great job. Obviously, there's going to be a very, very busy week, both leading into Wednesday, on Wednesday, and and after Wednesday. And the, the recruiting never ends. The portal is going to continue to be open. Where can everybody follow all the incredible work you do covering recruiting in college football, man? Yeah, give me a follow on, on Twitter at Rivals, Nick. There, there's going to be a lot of stuff happening between now and Wednesday. And then on Rivals.com, we have – coast-to-coast uh, -coast coverage uh, with some of the top prospects uh, in the country. I think there's going to be a lot of fun uh, leading into the signing day. It's it's going to be one of the busier flip seasons I think we see uh, in recent memory. So, you know, give us a, give us a look on Rivals.com and have some fun with us on Wednesday. Nick, as always, appreciate it. Uh, hopefully we don't have to wait a whole other year to get you back on the show <laughs> here, man. Yeah, maybe in February. Maybe maybe we have some excitement leading into February that I'm not forecasting at this point. <laughs> well, we know we know at least one Big Twelve school is going to land themselves uh, land themselves a stud. So uh, we'll have to Absolutely. bring you back on and talk about that. Absolutely. Boom! Bosco's boys is here. I think we all wanted it, and the marriage is officially official. I'm so pumped to bring my show to the 1012 Network, Bosco's boys. The most consistent K-State podcast out there. Over four years with at least one episode a week. Bringing live shows to the listeners and to the participants every Wednesday at 7 p.m. 
I'm pumped to be here, and I would love it if you guys came over to Bosco's Boys and gave us a listen. Because we are not Big J Journos. This is a podcast by a fan and his dog for fellow K-State and Big 12 fans. And I can't wait to chop it up with all the members and fans of the 1012 Network. He's been on our bucket list of guests for quite some time, so I'm very excited to have him here for what is a big developing story in the Big 12, and maybe a little transfer portal talk as well. He is the king of that over at The Athletic. That is, of course, Max Olson, one of the best guys covering the Big 12 right now. Max, welcome to the 1012. Hey, thanks, Phil. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Like I said, bucket list. Uh, We've tried a few times. This time worked out. Uh, I know you're busy, so I appreciate all the time you can give us today, so I'll try and make the most out of it. Uh, let's start with the big news that came out last week. I mean, fans for quite some time have assumed that Oklahoma and Texas would leave before uh, the end of the contract in 2025. That's been the, the working theory ever since it was announced that they would be leaving for the SEC. But the hard line message from both schools and the conference have been, it's 2025, that's what it's going to be, there's no early exit. Well, now, last week, news has been coming out that there have been negotiations between the Big 12 and and Oklahoma and Texas about getting them out of the conference as early as the summer of 2024. I know that you wrote uh, an article there at the Athletic uh, with a couple of other guys there. Can we let's start here? Where when did this really start kind of coming about? Because it has been a pretty hard line message. There's been no information whatsoever until last week, really, about them potentially leaving early and that becoming a reality. Yeah, you know, it's it's been kind of a silent standoff ever since July 2021. You really haven't heard. Uh, Joe Castiglione or Chris Del Conte or their presidents really make very many public uh, statements about here's what we're planning to do. Um, people have have tried to shrug over these, I don't know, year and a half or whatever it's been uh, and say, oh, no, we'll wait it out till 25. We're fine. It's no big deal. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's the the old adage of, I guess, deadline spur action a little bit here. And and I'm not saying that there is a hard deadline here at the end of of this year, but um, if those schools are going to give 18 months notice, it would make sense that this thing is getting figured out here by the end of 2022, because they want to be in the SEC, presumably in uh, on July 1 of, of 2024. So, um, yeah, I think this thing has picked up here in the past few months, obviously, when Brett Yormark uh, took over for Bob Bullsby. Who, who felt at the time like he didn't have any there was no there was no need to approach them or negotiate anything he felt that the the grant of rights was ironclad and and there's no, no fear there but you you've heard from day one with Brett Yormark that uh, you know they're going to have that conversation at some point in time and um you know over these past few months that's that's been developing I don't know when this gets done I don't really know the the nuances of the terms that you have to come to in order to satisfy all parties here and there's a few different parties um involved but uh but yeah this is certainly it it has been a bit of a change from maybe the messaging of a few months ago um this is is definitely in the works here a lot of things have happened since oklahoma and texas announced they were leaving for the sec obviously we're going to have an expanded playoff that starts in 2024 we know that usc and ucla will be heading to the big 10 in 2024 it seems like a lot of things are building towards that summer Obviously, Brett Yormark now the the uh, commissioner for the Big Twelve as well. What are all, what, what kind of things do you think played into getting this ball actually rolling as opposed to the standstill that it had been? Yeah, I mean, I think at some point the the the, the leadership here, and this is this is high level stuff. This is presidents and legal counsel and all that stuff. But at some point in time, you knew somebody was going to say, "Okay, well, what what's it going to cost?" Just 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 curious, what's what's this looking like? Um, and and I think that that 
certainly in the summer of 21, the perception was that this was going to be some astronomical record setting sum to get out of the conference early. And I, as we get closer to a time when, yeah, you're right. You would expect that these leaders would, would want to talk seriously about making this move in 24. Um, you know, it, it makes sense to start engaging on this and, you know, it's, it's an it's an interesting it's it, the the you're right that there's that and it, this all kind of collides with a bunch of other things going on. I mean, certainly, the Big Twelve getting its TV situation uh, figured out here um, in in October uh, that that certainly I I would think factors in. I think having a new commissioner who has kind of his own vision for what he thinks the the brand of the conference should be going forward and, and wanting to go execute on that, I'm sure factors into this a little bit. Um, you know, I I don't know if I, like you would, you could probably go go back to that summer twenty one and probably say cynically, like, yeah, they'll probably try to get out early, and it would make sense, I suppose, that this would be the kind of the timing in which it, these conversations had happened. But but you're right, up until now, it's been uh, it's been pretty quiet, and uh, you just assumed that it's it's a big sum that that uh, and and that it's kind of also hard to quantify, you know, what is the value of of um, holding their their grant of rights uh, through the end of uh, you know through the summer twenty five here. Uh, we talked about the money. I mean, estimates based off of the Big 12 bylaws, each school could have owed approximately like $90 million. That's even with the SEC money coming in, that's that's a large amount to pay. Now, obviously, we have seen. Uh, and I remember time... talking to people who at the time you say you look at it and you say, is, is it about 80? And and I, you know, you talk to some people like Bob Bowlesby who are like, no, it's way more than 80. Like it's way right. more valuable than 80 because the, the owning their rights you know, for that 24, 25 school year, that matters. That's worth, that's worth more than just an exit fee. Yeah. And so I, I, I kind of want to talk through some of the, obviously that number gets negotiated down. Every time we've seen schools leave conferences, that exit fee always gets negotiated down. We've seen estimates uh, a couple different places, 50 to 60 million, which is still <laughs> not, not, uh, not a small chunk to change. What are the other things besides just that, that dollar amount that are kind of in the way of Oklahoma and Texas, because if it was just the check and you just, we just hit this dollar amount, and we're gone. I think we would probably have seen them leave already. But obviously, there are other factors in play here. A large part of that probably being TV. What all is playing into what has to be figured out for Oklahoma and Texas to leave early? Yeah, I, I think one thing you got to point out is it's it's two institutions who probably have different levels of ability to write checkness um depending on the, what that number ends up being you obviously there's there's the the folks at texas will probably tell you whatever it is we can we can cover it um you know i think that the big factor in talking to people obviously it's sorting out the money um but the the, the big thing in, in talking to, to folks in the conference um it's satisfying the tv partners and specifically satisfying fox um that that is the challenge here for, and, and making figuring out a way for this to be equitable for, for Fox is the key challenge because obviously Texas and Oklahoma are, are going to move into that new um, ESPN deal uh, with the SEC. And so what is the value for Fox of losing um, not just, you know, the chance to have Red River on their broadcast, but to have games um, that involve Texas and Oklahoma on their broadcast, which are, you know, the highest rated games in the conference, obviously. And so, you know, I, I wish I had like the perfect answer as to like, what is the, um, the magic like thing that is, is the make good on that um, to make them whole. Um, I, I've seen it reported of, you know, non-conference games in the future and stuff like that. I I, I don't know. I, I'm not, I, I, I know 
a little bit about a lot, but I don't know that much about TV deal making and what it is that those executives want to uh, to to have things square between ESPN and Fox. But certainly uh, coming to a, an agreement that um, Texas and Oklahoma are willing to accept, that Brett Yormark and the Big Twelve board is willing to accept, and that the TV partners are satisfied with. Um, that is that is the challenge of this, and that's why it has never just been as simple as um, hey, we've decided this is the amount of money, and and here's where you send it. Yeah, when you get that many people involved in something, a decision is never easy. Uh, I think I've seen it reported Fox would have the first pick for the Big 12 in that 2024 season, uh, which you would think would be Red River. So obviously, look, and the Big 12 TV numbers from what we have seen this season, the Big 12 has done very, very well for itself, um, especially considering OU is down this year. Texas has been better, but still not a, a top team when you're getting TCU and Kansas State in your, in your Big 12 title game. I mean, the numbers have been good. But Red River still brings in quite a few eyeballs each year. So I mean, Fox, you know, we'll see. Maybe K-State Kansas will have surpassed Red River by 24. Who who can sit here and say, you know, what will be the, the marquee game of the Big 12 in 24 with the way this conference is changing, you know? I mean, look, Sunflower Showdown, always a good time. Uh, we got the Farmageddon, if we can ever actually give that an, an, a, make that an official title for Kansas State, Iowa State. Sure. Uh, we're going to have West Virginia, Cincinnati, potentially. We got, we got a lot of potential uh, really good matchups in the conference. I know you don't know, and so I don't. Uh, but I am curious if if you had to to stake a claim right now and put a dollar on the table and 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 slide it over, do you think Oklahoma and Texas are in the Big Twelve in twenty twenty four, or are they are they getting out a year early? Um, I I if I had to guess today, I think that they would get out a year early, and would, certainly would you know would be fascinating to know what the numbers look like on that 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 makes that right for everybody. But I do I, our sense in our reporting is that there's. Definitely positive momentum in that direction. Not to say it's not a contentious negotiation, right? Because I think that probably on the Texas and Oklahoma side, they want to point to precedent and point to what Texas A&M and Missouri paid to leave um, or what the incoming Big 12 members paid to uh, to um, leave the American. Like you you can point to that and say, well, why aren't we paying that much? And do they, they're going to want as little as possible. The Big 12 is going to want as much as possible. Um uh, but, you know, it, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be an interesting um, negotiation in terms of getting to the finish line. But I, I do think it's heading that way. And, and one thing, and I'm sure you've been curious about this, too, that you, you, I'm starting to wonder if it plays into this is, you know, where's where's that football schedule for 23? Mm-hmm. In, in talking mm-hmm. with folks in the, around the conference, um, it's still not out. I thought it was going to come out last week. I thought it was before that going to come out around the conference title game. We're now hearing like mid-January. Um, and I know that the, 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 these schools have seen the grid of who's playing who as far back as October. Now, obviously that could, that can change, but, um, they've, they've gridded it out for 23 and 24 of who's playing who. And, uh, you, you, you do wonder, I'm not saying, um, I'm not saying this is like directly impacted by that, but you talk to people around the conference who, who wonder it, um, you know, is this maybe the, the, the thing that is preventing us from seeing this football schedule for 23 is trying to get this thing um, you know, resolved going into January and then kind of uh, adjusting that schedule. Because obviously you wanted to, for 23 and 24, you wanted to give everyone a chance to have those games against Texas and Oklahoma. And you'd have to adjust and figure out some way to, you know, there's not really some perfect way to make that fair. But um, I, the, the longer we're waiting around here for this football schedule, the more suspicious I think everybody gets that is that is that tied to uh, Texas and Oklahoma and, and trying to uh, move on from them as well. 
I mean, it makes sense. The goal was for everyone to play everybody at least once in their 14-team conference in 23 and 24. But if they're only going to be around for one season, I mean, obviously everyone's going to be kind of fighting for that opportunity, not just to have Oklahoma and Texas on their schedule, but to get a home game against Oklahoma and Texas. So, I mean, uh, you would assume there'd be some protected games, Oklahoma, Bedlam for one final chance. Um, I, Texas has had you know, Texas has a quote-unquote rivalry with every other school in the state of Texas, so they're all going to be fighting for an opportunity for that game. So, I mean, I, I do think it makes sense at this point for the further delay to be tied to this and everyone saying, well, we, we want our shot, we want our shot, as, as well as the new schools coming in. I mean, Houston would love nothing more than the opportunity to host uh, Texas as a conference mate for one season, despite I'm sure Texas yeah. not uh, loving that. that well, and from, from a petty standpoint, I mean, can you find a way where Texas and Oklahoma have to play you know, Friday night, 10 p.m. games in Provo, right? I mean, can you find those kind of those, those obvious traps that the new Big 12 schedule is going to have? Um, it'll be funny to see. I'm sure Texas and Oklahoma fans will be very suspicious as to how that stuff um, shakes out if there's just one more uh, Big 12 schedule for them. But um, I think we're all sitting here um, very interested to see what uh, what that looks like because this is the first First year we've kind of had to care about the Big 12 schedule in a long time, considering we're getting away from the round robin here. 23, if Oklahoma and Texas are going to leave early, which at this point it feels like that's the likelihood, 23 might just be the weirdest season. Like we talk about crazy college football seasons, but for one conference in particular to go from 10 teams to 14 to 12 in a three-year time span, to have one year with all 14 teams, the craziness of the four teams coming in, getting acclimated, getting shots at Oklahoma and Texas, final matchups. I mean, in some cases, final matchups maybe forever between Big 12 conference foes that have been foes for for a long time. Like, let's let's be honest here. Like, I don't – it's hard to sit here and imagine that even as far as stuff's done, like maybe Iowa State and Oklahoma don't play again for another 50 years yeah. unless there's a bowl game, right? Yeah, so, when, when is the next Bedlam game, you know? Right, yeah, I mean, that's that's a big question. So that season's going to be big because it really is going to be not just wild and wacky with everything going yeah. on and 14 teams, but there's going to be a lot of, like – this is the last time we may ever see each other on the football field. The, like, it's going it, to be big. Yes, you're 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 absolutely right. It's it's the last time seeing each other, and and a lot of um, at least towards Texas, probably a lot more hate than I don't know about how how everybody else feels towards Oklahoma necessarily. But you've also got just the unpredictability. I mean, obviously we have a long way to go here in terms of the roster building for all of these Big Twelve teams going into twenty three. But you have the unpredictability of not not maybe totally knowing which of those four is best positioned to compete in this conference in 23 obviously with Luke Fickle moving on from Cincinnati you've got you know these these teams like um Oklahoma and Oklahoma and, and, and uh, you know Baylor and Oklahoma State where you're sort of like are they bouncing back in a big way or kind of where are they like it's going to be a pretty like I, I can sit here today and tell you how how ranking from one to 14 it's going to be a really uh really compelling season I think coming up here if you're putting out a way too early rankings, which I'm still not sure we're going to do in January about the you're new 14 sicko. team Big Twenty, you're a total sicko, and I respect it. Oh yeah, bravo, bravo! Like we stand by none of this. This is just for fun, okay? Please don't hold us to this come August. Well, look, I mean, you can't put Kansas last, so what are you going to do? I mean, where do you even start on that list? You know, it's oh, going to be <laughs> you like don't don't just repeat number one and don't repeat number man. I don't know. That's I don't, oh, that's going to be fun. I don't even who's who's the worst of the four coming in. I don't even I don't even know. With with transfer portal the way it is, it's so hard right now to say 
Like I'm trying to update rosters in a in a Google spreadsheet, and it's like I don't I don't know. Like every day I have to go. Okay, I got to take this guy. Okay, now at this yep. guy who's a junior, and then and this starter who's a. How do I grade a, a guy who started 20 games at a in the Sun Belt to come in and play corner for a, like? It's for so sure. I I don't. That, I, that I, is my daily challenge as well. I promise <laughs> you. <laughs> uh, we just do this for fun, and you do it for a living. So uh, props to you, sir. Um, Mention the transfer portal. You are kind of, let's call you the transfer portal king of the athletic. Uh, you just put out your first top 25 ranking of the players currently available in the portal. That doesn't count the ones who have already committed. Um, looking at, obviously you've gone through all of them. Looking at some of the players who have committed already in the transfer portal to the Big 12. I mean, Oklahoma State's already got seven commits that leads every other school by like yeah. three. Uh, TCU has done a very good job in the portal pulling guys from the SEC. I mean, who has been impressing you the most as far as Big 12 teams currently with what you've seen them do in the portal? Whether whether they have a bunch of commits or just their activity and trying to land like pull players out of it. Yeah, I, I, certainly Oklahoma State would be one that stands out. And I know probably to the, the more casual observer, you see the names of the people who are you know going in the portal leaving Oklahoma State. And, and I think people saw that as a, as a red flag. And certainly we're curious to see who the quarterback's going to be and who the running back's going to be and all these things. But um, I, I love some of the, the players they've picked up. Justin Wright and Anthony Goodlow from, from Tulsa are really good players. Um, and I thought those were, those were great gets. Um, I, I think that Dalton Cooper from Texas state has been a really solid offensive lineman um, in the Sun Belt. I think he's going to fit. Sean Tyler is one of the most productive running backs in, in, uh, in the Mac at Western Michigan. And so you saw, I mean, you saw the impact Jalen Warren made, obviously, when he came to Stillwater. And I think you're kind of hoping to, with that and with DeJon Stribling, you're kind of hoping to recreate the past success you had with the portal if you're Oklahoma State. Um, I think TCU is obviously in great shape. Like, what kid wouldn't want to go to TCU, I think, at this point? Um, and and the, the the players they've taken so far out of the portal, and they're, they're involved in some big ones. But um, certainly, I think JoJo Earl um, coming back from, um, you know, the, the Alito grad coming back from from Alabama um, has a chance to to really blow up in their offense along with Jack Beck from uh, uh, from LSU. And I, I like what they've got with Avery Helm as well from Florida. So I like what they've done there. Oklahoma, obviously, with a huge one and, and Desan McCullough, who, um, you know, made our freshman All-American team as an edge rusher, really, really promising true freshman at Indiana. Um, there's, you know, it's it's still early, but as you've seen, like I was counting it up this morning, it's it's the stuff is still really moving really fast. I mean, you've, you've got over 1100 scholarship players in the portal, but more, more than 200 of them have made commitments already. And, and I'm sure today, Monday is going to be a really busy day for that too. So uh, it, it is a lot to keep up with. Um, I'm enjoying it for sure. And uh, I'm, I, let's see, it, it, am I leaving anybody out there? Campbell Barrington was a solid one for Baylor. Um, anybody else come to mind I for you? I haven't seen a ton. I know West Virginia got a couple of guys from Kent state. Oh, Logan uh, Brown at Kansas, I think is an intriguing one too. Logan Brown was a five-star recruit at Wisconsin, a guy that went in the portal during the season. Um, and I think they feel like he can come in and, and make them better and they can kind of take his, his development to the next level. But a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of moves to come here. UCF always does a great job in the portal Houston too. So, you know, that, that some of these incoming members, um, are going to have a chance to uh, to get better, and, and as you saw with Cincinnati last year with Ivan Pace Jr. becoming an All American, I mean, you can really you can really strike gold here, especially with some of these G five players that you take. And I think for a lot of these, you know, maybe a Texas or Oklahoma gets involved in some of these really top guys, TCU too. But um, there's some really really good players out there at, at the Group of Five level, and even some of the at the FCS level that I think can come in um, and really make an impact for you here in the Big Twelve. 
Yeah, I mean, just look at this year. Uh, you had, and I just forgot his name as soon as I had to talk about it, but the, the DB from Louisiana Monroe who came to TCU. Josh Newton. Yeah. Thank you. He's been an absolute stud for them. Like we see, we see guys come up from G5 to P5. There's plenty who do well. Some who are at least value adds to help add depth to your roster. You, you talked about how quickly it's moving. And I do think that was to me, one of the biggest lessons probably learned by the players last year going into the portal. There's a lot of conversation of if you don't move quickly, this isn't like high school recruiting. You don't have a long period of time to go out and make like, it's pretty quick. When we saw OSU getting guys announced that they were in the portal and three days later, they had come to visit and they were, they were committing a day later. Like we're seeing this process move very, very quickly. I mean, it, what do you think is beside that, like some of the biggest lessons like you have learned covering the transfer portal over the last kind of couple of seasons now that we've been really getting into it? Yeah, the, the comparison I like to make, and I, I think it was, I want to say it was Matt Wells, a, a Big 12 coach I talked to about this a couple of years ago. They pointed out that, you know, in, in high school recruiting, you get two plus years um, to invest in the kid and their family and, and, and transfer recruiting, it's two weeks. I mean, and, and even nowadays, it's, it feels like one week in a lot of cases. I mean, the way that this is set up now when, when you have guys going in at the start of December and then they're trying to take like two visits or three visits, or maybe try to take three visits in one week, but they're trying to cram in official visits as quickly as possible. Um, and we've today is the start of a dead period. So you can't take any more visits until January 4th. Like the, the way this is kind of set up in the calendar, obviously it's chaotic for a lot of people to, to follow. And, and when you've got recruiting and bowl games and all that going on at the same time, but um, it, it makes for, very fast decisions for guys where you, you probably need to only go visit a couple schools that you really want to go to and then make it the, the decision from there. And so I'm, I'm just endlessly fascinated by the competitive aspect of the portal and kind of who's going where and, and what is the, like the process that these schools are taking to try and be better than everybody else at this stuff. And uh, this, this year you knew with the window, you kind of expected December 5th was going to be, uh, a shit show as many people described it to me and it kind of was that way and I, I i enjoyed it i don't know if it was as crazy as i thought it was going to be but it, it the you know when you have six seven hundred players uh, that are you know fbs scholarship players going in at one time um it's it's definitely madness and so um you know it's it's been fun to cover i think we're still kind of catching up a little bit in terms of how to cover this how to rate these guys and rank these guys and um, like kind of coming to understand a little bit that this is just going to be the norm now that um, maybe, maybe everybody's going to take five to 10 transfers a year. Maybe that's just going to be the way that you do it. And some people take 15 or 20, but I mean, I think this, the, the way that this is just sort of um, increased every year in terms of the number of players going in, Oh, Dante Moore just committed to UCLA. See, this is all going on at the same time as the regular recruiting. <laughs> like, it's so much to keep up with, you know? Um, and that has implications for the portal. So, um, you know, I think that it's it's <laughs> for, it, it, it's it's a lot of fun to try to to cover. And um, I I just think on on the team side, I'm sure it's it can be frustrating for fans when you're losing guys. But um, there's just so many ways out there now to, to make your, your, your roster and your team better. And so um, kind of following where they go and how it pays off has, has been uh, an enjoyable uh, kind of aspect. Of my yeah. It's been, it's been wild. It's been crazy. I mean, it's sport is ever changing. It feels like, and, uh, and the transfer portal has been a big part of that. I, I don't know how you keep up with all of it. It's, it's, 
I I'm like if I can just do well enough with the Big Twelve, I feel good. You've got a whole country to try and 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 piece through. Max, you do a great job. Um, like I said, your top twenty five rankings are now out as far as the transfer. Hey, hey, let me put you on the spot about that real quick. Okay. Oh yeah. So where where? Let me ask you. So, obviously, it's hard to take nine hundred players and just pick out twenty five. Yeah. Um, I in this initial ranking, and this will guys will commit in these next few days, and then this player will bump up and make the list. I'm sure. But I'm I'm honestly curious where where do you put Spencer Sanders in this universe of available players? Like uh, I, obviously we don't know a ton about where he may be going, but uh, what would be your expectation for him as a free agent right now? So I, the the biggest thing I've seen when it comes to rankings is there's a value in how many years you have left to play, yep. and it feels like. Like if you're a freshman, you've got like four years. There's less value because we haven't seen enough of you. If you're like a redshirt junior who's got a couple years left and we already know you're good, like that seems like the honey spot of like the best players you can get is I'm going to get a guy in here. We're going to have two years with him. And hopefully he doesn't leave for the NFL a year early. And this is going to be great. And for Spencer, like he's almost docked in part because he only has one year left. So I would argue he is one of the better options as a quarterback in the portal. But because he only has one year left, I understand someone like a Hudson Card being ahead of him or or somebody else who might have a couple of years left where you know you're going to get potentially more than one year out of them. Then maybe you see a higher ceiling. I think for Sanders, this was by far his best season. Yeah. I don't think you can argue at all that you saw how important he was for Oklahoma State success. They aren't. They don't win seven games with without him. That team yep. just does not. Um, and I know injuries were compounding in a big part, but like I really think this year showed how how much he actually had improved. And had he had a better team around him, or at least a healthier team around him, let's put it that way. Sorry, um, I think he would have been even better. So I really think if you're a program who needs a one year stopgap, like Oklahoma State is looking for one. Um, like say a Florida or someone who's going to bring in a stud as a true freshman. And maybe you want to give them a year to take a break or to, to kind of learn the system and have a, a fill in. I think he's an awesome option. I think he is one of the best options. I would put him top three. If, if you need a one year stopgap guy who can come in and have somebody talented behind them, just learn for a year. He's a fantastic value add to your program because you know, he's going to play well. He's going to have a game. He's going to have his, okay, you've turned the ball over five times in it. That's fine. But for the most part, especially looking back at last year, like I think he's gonna he would make a great one year guy for you. I, I'm with you, and I think it's not like like obviously like another mystery guy in all this is is DJ from Clemson and kind of where is he going and and certainly like wherever he goes that there's a little bit of a project there, right? Even though he's a grad transfer, there's a little bit of like all right, we got to work on some stuff here over these next nine months to bring out the kind of player we think you can be. And I think with Spencer Sanders, and I, and I don't mean to be lazy or anything, but like you know what you're getting. And I think that, that, and I mean that in a high level way, not like in terms of limitations or anything. I I think that like, so from that standpoint, you take experience over inexperience and you kind of take safe over risky, I think a little bit. And so he, I'm fascinated to see what's the move for him. Obviously we saw um, Adrian Martinez basically do the same thing, start for four years somewhere. And then, you know, want a fresh start, obviously, you know, different, different situation in some circumstances between Nebraska and Oklahoma state, but um yeah, I'm, I'm. You know, you know that commitment's going to pop here at some point, and I think we're all going to be very interested to see what's what's the right move for him, and and can he be, you know, potentially like an all conference kind of player at the right spot. Yeah, the the quarterback dominoes feel like the big ones we're waiting to start. There's yeah. a lot of names we all know in college football who are out there looking for spots, and we've seen some guys kind of 
talked about connected to this school or connected to that school, but it feels like once that first, once one of the big ones falls first, be it a, a, a Leary or a Sanders or a Card, once one of those first dominoes falls, it feels like the other ones will start to kind of fill in behind them. So it's curious to see who ends up being the first one to pull the trigger and say, I'm going to go here. Because I do think there's a lot of evaluating. Obviously, Oregon, we're getting Bo Nix back. How does that impact them yeah. in the transfer portal? Because we've seen a lot of talk of, do they add a guy because Bo Nix isn't come back, but now he's coming back. We know TCU. We now know Max Duggan is going to go to the NFL draft. So do they look in the portal to bring in someone? I know Chandler Morris was the guy to start the season, but do they go into the portal and try and bring somebody else in after showing what all you can do at TCU for a season? So like I... You yeah, think, you got, so, I think you got Florida, you got Notre Dame, you got some that are very clearly in the market here. And if they pick a guy um, or some guy pops up in the portal this week, that's going to them, then I think you're, I agree with you. I think that's going to set things off. Yeah. That's, that's, I think that's what we're all at this point, just kind of from a, a casual observer excited about is once those quarterback dominoes start falling, it's going to be fun. Cause it's going to be weird to see guys on other teams, but I'm really curious what those are going to look like. I, I would put, I'll just put, I'm going to put my Spencer Sanders, Florida pin in the wall right there. I think. Okay. I, I, that feels like a great fit for him. Um, that or a Tennessee, if he can go somewhere with a good offensive line and a good offense that lets him kind of thrive and not necessarily always have to run for his life as much. Like I, I think he can have a very, very good season. I, I, it's interesting. Um, I I've heard Florida is one of those schools that is also, um, vetting some quarterbacks who are not in the transfer portal yet. And so you wonder like how, you know, you, that's, that's, kind of the name of the game now is you're looking at some guys and you're like man in an ideal world uh would love to get this guy is he gonna go in the portal or not and uh, what would that take uh so yeah i think he's he's probably one of those guys that is waiting on decisions from some of these schools um and there's probably some surprise i mean like i noticed i was looking at spencer sanders uh, uh twitter page the other day he's he's following a lot of old miss coaches for some reason you see some of these things and you're like well that what's going on there like he, where hmm. you see you wouldn't think that they're in the market. They lost their backup, obviously, Luke Altmeyer. But you see some of those things, and, and you, you're reminded that I'm not saying he's going um, to go play for Lane Kiffin necessarily, but um, there there are there often are some odd merit in this uh, for quarterback market. Some guys that, uh, you know, some schools that take guys you, you wouldn't expect and some guys that go places that uh, that will definitely surprise you. So this week, uh, these next week, this next week or two, I think is going to be uh, – really fascinating in terms of uh, uh who's making moves here absolutely max you are awesome thank you so much for all the time that you were able to give us today i really do appreciate it uh you do again a great job over there at athletic um where can everybody follow all your work find your work what's the best way to to, to see what all you're putting out uh yeah follow me on twitter max underscore olson and uh you know be sure to check out the athletic if you're not a subscriber um and uh and and give it a try we've we've feel like we've got some of the best college football coverage uh, on the internet and uh, proud, proud of what we do. And so if you haven't um, taken a look here, um, uh, would, would, would appreciate it if you uh, you give it a try and, and follow our port portal coverage and, uh, you know, everything else we're trying to do over there. Also a fan of, uh, of you and Sam Con Jr.'s uh, podcast as part of the Andy Staples and Friends podcast. I don't know, like channel group? I don't know Feed? how to describe yes. Feed? Yeah. There's a word. There we go. Uh, Thank you, guys you for remembering to plug the things that I'm forgetting to remember. <laughs> that is that is that is much appreciated. Uh, I, I I follow a lot of Max Olson stuff. What can I say? Max again, <laughs> appreciate it, man. Uh, good luck with everything uh, during this bowl season. I hope you have some some time to close the eyes for a little bit. I can't I can't imagine that will be the case. But but thanks, well appreciate the time.
Sports Social Podcast Network.